What's up? What's up? We're back. We're doing this again. BenjaCon 2022. Great discussions with great people at a great time of year. This is when I reminisce on all the Comic-Con discussions I used to have back in the day. And I decided, you know what? Let's keep on having these discussions. I'm going to bring it back and do it live on Instagram. It's been so many years. If you weren't here for the Wednesday session where we talked with the guys from Show Versus Business, me, Theo, Pete, Jeff, that was comedy. That was great, but I'm still bringing you the heat. So I'm coming in and we're going to have a discussion with Patrick Hickey Jr. of Minds Behind the Games and of WrestleQuest fame as of recently. Spoken to him before. We've worked together. We're going to do some great things here. I'm going to pull him on. And as always, check out the rest of the week and the rest of the things we have going on. Because we're going to make it happen. Are we Mr. Patrick Hickey Jr.? Yes, we are. How you doing, buddy? Doing good, doing good. You know what? The thing I like about the second or third or fourth, whatever discussion, is that you can just kind of jump into it and it rolls so much easier. You're like, okay, this is how they talk. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, man. I've been looking forward to this like all day. It's been a long day, but uh, I was just talking to Tony Barnes a little while ago and I was like, bro, you set the bar super high. So I'm, I'm excited to talk to you today. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a good discussion he had. He had absolutely that guy's got so many gems, man. It's just he he's the one guy in the bar at E3 that we would all kind of sit around mm-hmm. and just whatever random game stories because there were a lot of if you haven't been like really digging for video game like dirt at E3 or at PAX or whatever convention, there's always hilarity. It's just a gold mine and tony's just like he the way he drops it is just like yeah it was no big deal but boom 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 and you're like <laughs> okay like his timbre doesn't change so he could tell you like the world ended and it would stay exactly the same way which makes like the impact that much stronger when he says it so yeah he's one of the most humbly charismatic people i've ever met in my entire life like doesn't think he's charismatic at all and he's over the moon off the charts charismatic yeah, totally, man. Totally. So Patrick Hickey Jr., good to have you back on. Yeah. Uh, as I said in the little mini intro, WrestleQuest fame, voiceover. We've got review fix, editor in chief. We've got the minds behind the games, author and ser- series creator. We're up to eight books, seven books now. Eight. Seven books, yeah. Six or five are out. The six is coming out. The minds behind PlayStation games is coming out like in. October, November, and then the seventh is already done and submitted to the publisher of the Minds Behind PlayStation 2 game. So, so far, it's seven books in the series. Okay, seven books in the series. Knocking them out, knocking them out. Crazy. And and editor-in-chief of Legacy Comics. And owner of Legacy Comics. Yeah, And owner. Okay. Mm -hmm. Before we get into all that, because Mm -hmm. that's some juicy awesomeness, Mm -hmm. how did I look up and... Because remember what I was joking when I kind of said this, I was like, yeah, you post a lot. And I kind of joked about it because it's not a problem. The, the, the algorithms pretty much feed you what you can take, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. But when I look back, I was just going to your uh, profile page and I was like, okay, let me make sure there's nothing I missed on his profile page. How do you have 59,000 posts? Just- That's impressive. It's just, it's just what I do. I've gotten in several arguments with my wife over the past like six or seven years. What are you doing? What are you doing? And I'm like, 
I'm posting. And the thing is, it's just like, I, I probably spend about 20 minutes, like at the end of every day, like picking out like the posts that I want to post for the next day. Like in terms of like, I always pick like a superhero that I want to feature. I always pick like anywhere from like seven to 10 game covers that I'm like, Ooh, this is fun. Like da 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 da. Or I'll make a couple of MP4s for reels and things like that. But it's just like, and I try and hit like four or five different sets of hashtags, like first thing in the morning. So when people you know, turn on their phones, they get like a wrestling post for me, a comic book post for me, a video game post for me, you know? So mm -hmm. it's just like, I don't have a social media manager. Like somebody the other day, I did a con and she was just like, oh, I'll send everything to your assistant so she could post it. And I almost belly laughed. I was like, yeah, yeah. nah, homegirl, that's all me. You know, <laughs> so it's just like, and I love it. I love Instagram. Facebook is a lot of fun, but I just love Instagram. Yeah, it's just, it's all me. People are like, do you have automated posts? This and that, but I'm like, nope, that's yeah. all me. So. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm not posting that much, but I understand when you get into a flow oh, yeah. like idea post and they make it really simple. Once you, Super simple. Once, once you've gotten the thought out of the way and it's like, oh yeah, this is something I do. Boom. Picture of the game, picture of the kids, picture of, you know, whatever convention yep. I'm at. It's once yep. you get into that flow, it becomes like a, an extension of your thoughts actually. Oh yeah. And I used to post a lot more too. Like before I started Legacy, I was posting like anywhere from like 50 to 60 posts on Instagram a day. And now I do like 25. Mm -hmm. And people are still like, you post a lot. I'm like, you have no idea, you know? Because I had to stop myself sometimes. I'm like, eh, I don't need to post that. You know? I might as well. Yeah, I might as well. You know? So it's, it's just a part of me, you know? So it's just like I tell people all the time, I'm one of those people you follow and then, uh, then you mute. And then if you think of me, then you go to my page and see what I'm up to. Yeah. But if you don't mute me, then you're going to get a lot of me. So yeah. you either take all of me or you take none of me. <laughs> it's like one or the other, you know? Yeah. And as, as I said, though, I think the uh, Gary V mentioned this. I don't know if you know who he is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, he loves okay. Macho Man. We, we talked about him. <laughs> yeah. Does he love? Yes, he does love Macho Man. He has the wrestling superstars in his office. I remember that now. The LJN character. Who, who mm. made that? Yeah. Oh, LJN. Yeah. 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 Okay. You got it. All right, I'm still in there. Hell yeah. But yeah, he mentioned that and he was like, yeah, the algorithms have kind of changed. So even if you're posting a lot, it doesn't really matter because it'll adjust, adjust up or down depending on what you're into and if you're really engaged or not, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. props to you, man. That is great. 56,000 posts, up to 6,000 followers, and you're only following 665. You need to follow one more so you can get... Well, I, I was, somebody dropped me. I'm usually at 666, and then if okay. I get somebody cool, I like drop off somebody that's like not interacting with me. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's just, it worked out that way. One day I was at like 668. I'm like, oh, I'm really close to 666. I'm like, let me find two people that aren't following me and I cut them and then I'm just like, Ooh, that's pretty cool. So yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So the biggest thing here, so before I, before I jump on, you have, how, what, what accounts do, do we, are we talking about here? Legacy comics, minds behind the games, Patrick Hickey Jr. Yeah. Review fix has its own, uh, does it have review fix has its own account on? Well, no, no, just on Facebook, but yeah, it's just pretty much like, it's like an extension of me. So. You know, like the Twitter is review fix Pat. So it gets, I post all of like the review fix links and my own stuff. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. So yeah, just legacy, legacy, the minds behind the games and, and me. Yeah. I don't think I asked you, when did review fix start? Oh, I want to say 2010, 2009. Okay. So yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been 24,000 articles on the site. So it's been around for a long time. So, okay. It's primarily crazy. concerned with what? 
comic books, video games, music, pro wrestling. Yeah, review, reviews mostly or reviews. Yeah, yeah, mostly reviews. Yeah. So, but lots of interviews. Like I've interviewed Philip Seymour Hoffman for Review Six, Channing Tatum. You know, some. Yeah, I've done some pretty wacky stuff for them over the years too. So, all right. Now I'm loving. I'm loving your angle on the social media game. As you can, as you can tell, I've been getting back into the flow of let me start been killing it. The, the clips, the little reels, videos, mm-hmm. and all this, and they're great. Off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's funny, what's funny about these is like a lot of people are really thinking about likes and how many shares and they're, they're looking at this, the metrics, the immediate metrics. Yeah. But I'm talking to people and they're spitting back at me stuff that I said in a reel or put in an interview. And I'm like, did I talk to him about branding? What is this coming from? Mm-hmm. It's, so it it's getting, something. Yeah. It's like, I remember one time I was in an elevator at 30 Rock. I was like right after Dallas Cowboys football game. And I had done like a recap of the game. And I said something along the lines of like, Tony Romo had like the most passing yards. Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. like I, I threw out some super obscure fact. So now Tony Dungy is in the elevator with me. And I'm just like, oh shit, Tony Dungy's in the elevator with me. And he went out and spit out that same exact fact. So I turned around and I was like, did you just read the article that was published on? NBC and he's like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, and he goes, that was great. So it's just like that happens. That's how you know you're doing, you know, a great job. And those are things that like the average person won't catch on. And the fact mm-hmm. that you do is super important, you know? So hell yeah, you got to look for those wins because that shows you. And that's something some the average person will go, oh, it only has five likes. Oh, it only has, you know, 700 views or whatever. But then when you get to like the right people, because like 700 right people is so much better than 7,000 people that like have nothing to add to the conversation, you know? Yeah, exactly. I think I was telling, I was telling a friend of mine, uh, she's, she works in, in games and media and we were talking and she's like, well, yeah, I don't know what to do when I, when I don't get the, the, the feedback. And I'm like, so part of the feedback is invisible. It's kind of like how people treat you you know what i mean like yeah and i I had to i had to figure this out as an artist where i'm doing stuff i'm putting stuff out there so people have a different perception of me and people have a different perception of my products but i can't really tell i just know that i'm putting it out there in a good way and i have to just believe in the process of people seeing it or whatever you know what i'm saying i mean yeah Absolutely. I mean, sometimes you just have to trust yourself. You know, it's like, again, I was talking to Tony Barnes before and I, I, me and him and I were talking and we're just like, we're both doing excellent work and we know we're doing excellent work. So it's just like, sometimes there's a lot of people out there. I've met plenty of them along the way that are like, I'm doing really great work. And it's like, are you sure? Mm. You know? So just like when people try and convince themselves and they say it a thousand times and then people that like, don't really have to say it and they know it it's only a matter of time until it gets to the right people and as long as you continue to push it that's why there's fifty six thousand posts on my instagram that's why i I post on linkedin and stuff because it's just like it's a matter of getting to the right people being consistently consistent having solid output finishing your projects and you know like you're you're absolutely right does your does your output or whatever you does whatever you create as you put it out there does it ever scare you Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's like, that's so funny. The one shot that I just released, uh, Sarita for Legacy Comics, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the comic book company that I was working at before I started Legacy, lesser known comics, mm-hmm. a name quite, quite fitting to them. They were super, super concerned about me writing an African, African-American woman character. I was curious about that. I was like, oh, that, that's what I think why, why I asked like, oh, this year's? Yeah. And uh, so she's, she's basically like, and I don't even want to call her the sidekick to like the main character, like Condry, like my Condry series. She's like so much more than a sidekick. Like she's, she's a pivotal, pivotal part in, in the story. And uh, I remember my, my boss was like, you know, you just have to be careful. Like, you know, and this is before he had literally like understood like what I was writing and things like that. And I was just like, I, I'm from, I'm from Brooklyn. Like yeah. I've grown up with people of all different shapes and sizes. I'm like, I know 20 Saritas, you know, yeah. like I know women like this that don't take no shit from anybody that are like the mayor of the block, you know, that, that their family means everything to them, you know? And I was like, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. You know, he's, oh, well, you just have to be careful. And then when I left there and I left lesser known, I uh, decided to do the one shot of her story. And uh, I had people like it at Legacy that are no longer with Legacy, but were like, oh, well, well, why is she black? And I'm like, well, why, why can't she be, mm-hmm. you know, like, what, what does it matter? Like the, the color of her skin, like she, yeah. this is like when I, when I was envisioning this character, this is like what I saw, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, so just like when it was first, like we, we released it like two weeks ago. It's been finished for like three months, but we were waiting like for the summer to release it with something else. But I was scared that like there was going to be some people that were like, well, you know, you're like this token blonde hair, blue eyed guy. Like, yeah. why would you, you know, and my whole thing is it just like, like I said, like I'm from Brooklyn, you know, whenever I look at somebody, I never say like, oh, they're black, they're white. It's more yeah. like, who is this person? How can we help each other? How can we synergize? How can we make some great shit together? Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, you know, it just, when I envisioned the character, that's why I saw it. So yeah. So when it was originally released two weeks ago, I was nervous. I was scared that maybe, especially on Twitter, I was, somebody on Twitter was going to say something, but it's been, it's been great so far. The reception has been awesome, but yeah, I was scared a little bit. Yeah. I think the reason I asked about fear is I think you should be a little afraid of something you put out there. Not sure. because, not because you're ashamed of it, not because you don't think it's quality, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like you're, you're doing, you're, you've got a good painting going on and you're like, all right, now I'm coming in with the white paint and I'm going to go over this. If this doesn't look right when I put it down, I don't know what I'm going to do. And you know, it's like, it goes down and you're like, okay, that just changed everything. And you're not like mad at it or anything like that, but it's just (laughs) that, that little trepidation. So I'm glad you went ahead and put it out there. Definitely. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was the same thing with the minds behind the games books. When the first one came out, I had so many people that were like, well, does it really matter? And I'm like, what? Does it really matter? Like the people that made the games? Like, why can't we just play the games and enjoy the games for what they are? And I'm just like, like, he doesn't get it or she doesn't get it. You know, and that's like, that's a big like, it's scary. Like, what a big cross section of gamers really like, don't get it, you know, so just like, I feel like the people that have bought my books really get it. And they're so much fun to speak to at conventions and things like that. But yeah, that's, mm. that's scary sometimes. Like being in a GameStop and trying to explain to a little kid that he likes this game. He likes Days Gone By because it was made by the same team that like had a hand in Siphon Filter. And when they yeah. go, Siphon Filter, what's that? Blah, blah, blah. And then when you try and explain that, they like, they don't get it. Yeah. They don't care. They just want to play the game. And to me, that's just like, oh, it's such a lost opportunity to connect, you know? So yeah, there's always that fear that people aren't going to get like what you're trying to go for. And so 
I think everything I've released, I've had that feeling at some point. And I think that's good. That's a total, you know, art production releasing kind of reaction. I think it's, sure. I think it's, I think it's good. A lot of people are just like, yeah, I'm just putting this out. And when they do that, where they're just putting something out, I don't think they've got enough heart behind it. Absolutely. You're putting, you're putting your heart out there too. Absolutely. Like, you know, we had some, some things going on with, uh, with legacy like two weeks ago. And like one of the, one of the things was, you know, one of, one of our writers, like an artist, it was just like, he, he released something and it was like, it was that, that exact thing that you just said, it was just like, you release this, but you're not like, you're, it's got no soul, my brother. You know, it's just like, man, you, that extra, and he didn't have it. And it was just like, yeah can't we can't do that ever again that can never happen ever again and it won't happen ever again you know so it's just like yeah you've got to you've got to leave a little piece of yourself in like everything that you create if you don't then what's the point you know then you're just throwing stuff out there and hoping that it sticks and that's that's not definitely not my style that's not that's not what i'm trying to do i think with i think definitely with comics and such a i don't want to say smaller but a more a less collaborative medium than something like a video game like when i was doing a video game i would still get kind of one curious about okay there's elements in the game that i know people are going to have a problem with and there are elements in the game that i know people are going to like i'm not sure about x y or z or whatever but it's a whole crew of people and they intentionally try to obfuscate who did what so when you're talking about some of the craziness of red dead redemption it's kind of like, ah, well, you know, we were all just, ah, you know, mm-hmm. and if yeah. something goes, if something goes well, you know, it's like, well, we were all part of it and we kind of all take the glory. But with a comic book, it hits a lot harder because it's like, no, 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 that guy wrote that because I look on the front page or the inner page and it says writer Patrick Hickey Jr. Absolutely. Like I would, I would say that like writing a comic and like being in charge of a comic book company is like playing golf. It's like, if you screw up, it's you. You could blame the wind. You could blame your club. You could blame your <laughs> caddy. But at the end of the day, if there's a typo or if something doesn't hit hard or if, you know, if something's messed up, it's on you, you know? So just like, you have to be like just super meticulous and you have to be a perfectionist. And the thing is too, especially the people that you work with, they have to have a thick skin. And if they don't, or if they deflect, that's dangerous. You know, if you have somebody that's just like, oh, well, this is okay. And then you go, it's not, fix it. And they go, well, yeah. I think it's okay. Then then you're going to have issues. You know, so it's hard. It's super hard. Yeah, I think uh, Kevin Smith was speaking on that at one point about you've got such a, and he, he, was, he was saying that in different relationships, like one person may be the strong hand in, in the relationship. You've got a writer and an artist pretty much. And he was saying that in this one, you know, he was the writer and he had the strong hand in that particular comic, mm-hmm. but, but he was like, man, this is such a great artist. I just want to write in such a way where I give them room without seeming like I'm being lazy, mm-hmm. you know? So he was like, yeah. well, I do this and this, and then some kind of fight happens. Maybe you could help me out with that. And the artist, luckily they got along and the artist was like, Oh yeah, we can do X, Y, and Z and da da da. Send him some sketches and yeah. it worked out. But geez, man, I can't imagine. I, I really can't imagine like such a small folk. Actually, I can't. Cause I, I've worked on a 
the smallest game I've worked on was Foam Fighters, and that was two artists, three, three if you count the guy who did the graphics for the book and the cover, but I don't really count that. Uh, but two game artists, one designer, and one programmer. So it was like four people. Yeah, man. And uh, five, we had an offsite guy. So I take that back. But yeah, five people. That's awesome. I mean, think about it too. Just like, uh, I think I, I wrote something on my Facebook the other day. There's like nothing scarier than being in, in control of your own destiny, you know? And then at the same time too, there's like nothing more thrilling than being in control of your own destiny. So that's like the way like comic book creation, like small indie game development is too. Like yeah. if you create something that's special and it's just you and a couple of other people, then you can own that, you know? Yeah. If you screw up, then, you know, my biggest problem is that like, I always expect people to work as hard as I do. It's always been like my, my biggest flaw. And like, when I see someone like not doing it, I I'm going to be like the Scott hole of the situation. I'm going to be the bad guy and I'm going to just be like, listen, you need to step up or you, you, you need to go, you know? And that's a really good way of not having many friends. But it's also a good way of like finding out like who's got it. Because so many people could say, yeah. go big or go home. And then it's just like, well, you didn't go big. So now you know where to go, you know? So right. it's just like, it's it's hard sometimes when you're in a small environment like that, yeah. you know? No, it definitely is. I I think I tend to have that problem too, where I'm so into the, the, the dev and the design. Like I was going to programmers saying, hey, listen, I know you're working on X, Y, and Z, but we've got this demo and we need you to work on this first, because if this comes out, this is going to give us, and the, the programmer's looking at me like, do you see this schedule on the wall we've got? I'm like, yeah, I know, buddy, but you're going to do this. No one's going to care. We do this. They care. It gives us more money and more time. And dude, when I told, I told you when we were doing table tennis, it was, it wasn't always thought of as the best project at Rockstar Games. You know, just in terms of who we were working with and individual people, yeah. the company, the company backed it, but like different individuals were thinking, I want to get off this as fast as possible. Go work on Midnight Club. I want to finish this rendering engine so I can work on whatever, but I'm not worried about the game itself. So I had to be the asshole, right? Yeah. And I think I, I, I learned, I'm still not great at it. I think I learned to kind of really dig for people's strengths and then kind of throw them in that one direction. Yep. Yeah. Like the, like the guy with the rendering engine, what I told him was he's like, all right, well, you want to work on the rendering and everything and such and such. So I left his desk. Then I go talk to the producer and some other artists I'm like, Hey, listen, can we do one of the arenas where we have like swinging lights and it's a little dusty in there and all this stuff that would really tax the rendering engine. And they're like, yeah, sure. We can start on that right away. I'm going over talking to the Love concept. It. I'm going over talking to the concept artist. Like, hey, do we still have that that sweat technology where you know the guy's skin starts to glisten a little after you know so many rounds? And they're like, yeah, we're still doing that. All right, hey, can you talk to such and such artist? Because I, and you know, like a week later, all of a sudden the rendering guy is under pressure now because he's like, holy crap, man, I got a lot of stuff to do. We're dealing with all these lights and the swing and the dust and the sweat and. But he's like in his zone because he gets to really flex with his engine. Absolutely. So I tell my students all the time, it's just like, I love when they say that they're tired and I'm like, being tired is good. And it's just like when someone, it's like, 
over the past, I would say like 20 years since I'm like 18 and really like trying to do stuff. When someone says two things to me, I usually run when it's like they say, I don't have the time right now. I'm gone. And then the other thing is uh, I'm working as hard as I can. I usually run because mm. I feel like you never know how hard you can work. You know, you know, there's always time just mean you've got to you've got to give up something. You've got to sacrifice, you know, especially with art, you know, mm. so it's hard. It's hard. But yeah, man, you you're like you're like Paul Heyman. You know, like you're, you look at people and you're like, oh, this person could do that. This person could do that. And like, I feel like I'm like the same way because like I have to get artists and writers to work together and I have to get this person to do this. And I have to get this person to do that. And it's just like, it's just getting people to like find their own, like their own best self, you know, and it's hard, mm -hmm. you know, and especially, I mean, I mean, I'm sure you remember like when you first started out in video games, the money is not great, you know, and, and like. You've got to get people to really believe and you've got to keep the hype train going, but like not bullshit people. And it's hard. It's hard. But like, yeah, whenever I hear like excuses like that, those, those are like usually like my telltale signs that somebody like talks more than they do. And those people are those those people are really dangerous. Those people can sing dreams. They can sing companies. So I try and like find them out as soon as I can and, and work with people that are going to try and push as hard as they possibly can. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I won't get into like, you know, rock stars habits or anything like that, but mm -hmm. they intentionally stock the company with passionate people. Mm -hmm. So when you're on your passion, I don't think that it's that hard. The hard part is actually just aligning those passions. Like once we got that level really figured out, like, hey, this is the level we're going to show. It's going to have the the lights with the dust and all that, like I was saying before. Then all of a sudden, everybody else's passion starts to fire up and they want to join yep. in. Like, like, hey, wait a minute, you're doing this? Hey, I want to make a New Jersey. Like, a New Jersey? Yeah, I, was, I, I had these New Jerseys. I want to put them in there too. So when we show the other guys from New York or whatever, we're going to we're gonna show them off the New Jerseys too. And it's like, cool, get on board. Oh, yeah. Love it. Every time. So let me ask you about, you sure. know, speaking of sports and all that. WrestleQuest, how did this thing come about? Oh, so crazy. It's like the past, I would say like the past 16 months, 16 to 18 months I've been on the team and I've really only been able to speak about it for probably like the last like five or six. So what happened was I remember telling you the last time I was on about the Padre and how I got into voice acting and things like that. And then what happened was as a journalist and as an author, I, inter I interact with game developers all the time, you know? And uh, I've been super cool with uh, the Mega Cat people for quite some time. And uh, just one day, the, uh, the CEO of Mega Cat, James Deegan, awesome guy, is just like, oh, so you're doing voiceover now? I'm like, yeah, I've been doing voiceover for a little while now. And he's just like, oh, we're doing this. Do you want to try and do some sound effects for some of the unlicensed characters? It's not blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, sure. So I did that. And then that came out well. And then it was just like, oh, do you want to do the voices of some of the licensed characters and i'm like sure and then it's just like oh do you want to do the ring announcer and then oh the main character is like you know the protege of macho man can you do a macho man I'm like absolutely and then it just all of a sudden i'm playing the voices of like over 100 characters and it's it's just been it's been totally totally insane you know pax east um, we just we just did a starcast last week in tennessee so i got to go to like the rick flair roast and stuff like that and it's been insane like this game has just been 
such an important like part of my life the past like year. I totally like I've worked on I worked on BPM Boy with Tony Barnes that just got released mm-hmm. on the VCS and I love working yep. with Tony. That that's been like a dream for me because like I feel like we're like of the same mindset. He works he works just as hard as I do. Like you know he's this incredibly refined mind. You know I could just sit and listen to him speak like forever. And then I'm doing World Championship Boxing Manager two for Mega Cat and stuff. But like this game, just watching it like grow has been amazing. And I've always been a big fan of 16-bit turn-based RPGs. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you are too. It's like the age we grew up in, you know? Like Chrono Trigger, Earthbound, Super Mario RPG and stuff. So it's just like, this game takes like the heart of all of those games and then just throws in this love affair with 80s and 90s wrestling, which is like a huge part of my life as well. So to be able to be the voice of this game, super, super crazy. And then just, being at the booth and showing it to people and walking them yeah. through and, and listening to myself like talk as multiple characters. It's so it's kind of surreal, huh? It's surreal. And like, I almost like want to cry sometimes. Like I, I was playing it with Colton Gunn from AEW during the like during when we were in Tennessee. And I'm just like, I'm sitting here with an AEW star. Showing him the game that I worked on. Like, and, it, and it just, just, it's wild. And you're rolling with Jeff Jarrett, too. Yeah. And Jeff Jarrett is amazing. How is he connected? He's executive producer of the game. Um, Okay. Yeah. And uh, he he loves video games. Like he loves the video game industry. He's hungry to learn more and stuff like that. And uh, he just sees the project as something that's like really unique and and he wanted to be a part of it. And I mean, uh, he's been a great ambassador. Like he spoke at the PAX East panel with us. And uh, I mean, he was on the ground floor with like Mark Termel for the uh, TNA game. And uh, that sold over a million copies, you know, and like, so... I mean, he was in WCW versus the world on PS1. So he's got like a 25 year video game history himself, you know? So it's been a lot of fun to like be around these guys. Like Jeff Jarrett has been, he's hilarious. So like at PAX East, he was like putting me over. Like he was telling people like, oh, this is the voice actor. He does a great macho man. He does a great Hulk from Legion of Doom, blah, blah, blah. And then he started messing around with people and was like, he's actually macho man Randy Savage's son. And I'm like, oh my God. And he was saying it like <laughs> totally been like totally believable to the point where like at Paxi's three people came over to me and they were like, oh, you're the minds, you're the minds behind the games guy. Right. And like, and I was like super honored, you know? Yeah. But then like this one guy comes over to me and he's like all nervous. And he's like, can I take a picture with you? And I'm like, sure. And I take the picture with them and it just felt so weird. Yeah. So after, after he takes the picture, I'm like, can I ask like why you want to take the picture? And he was just like, because you're, you're Randy Savage's son, right? And I'm just like, it's so like a me. Lost you for a sec. Got a little connection going on there. I don't know what's happening. That's what happens when somebody's on the East Coast. I hope this clears up. While while we got Patrick over there, let's see. Shout out to shout out to Comedy Legend. It's Mike six fifteen forty five STR. Thanks everybody for joining us. Mateo, Mateo and Mom. Hey, it says as a corporate trainer, I can attest that the hardest thing to do is get people to pivot projects, especially artists. Yeah, getting artists to, you know, when you're doing art, getting into a certain zone. And trying to 
think on visuals, think on expression and characterization, the world a certain way, and then somebody asks you to pivot, that's really, it, it is pretty difficult. So I totally understand how getting artists to pivot is, is an issue, but artists, artists are very hard to work with. I mean, you get good stuff out of them, but it's just really hard to have them, you know, maintaining artists. So any tips on doing that are definitely appreciated. Let's see if we can get Patrick back in here. Hopefully uh, his Wi-Fi didn't explode or something. Send him an invite. But yeah, for those who are just coming in, I didn't do too much of an intro this time, but, oh, we got you back. Yeah, sorry about that. I actually got the notification that my phone was too hot. I guess our conversation was getting a little too juicy. Damn. So, but uh, what was the last thing I said? I'm sorry. I apologize. No, no you throw up the flowery background that my wife uses during her lives. So, oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> oh, that, that, that's kind of call me actually. I oh, I don't know. So now I'm standing and my phone is off the, the built-in charger. So I'm going to stand the rest of the interview and just wing it. We're going to kill it. So this is yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. No, you mentioned, you know, Mark Jamel taking, then taking a picture with, so, as, as Macho Man's son, but you really weren't. Yeah. It was so crazy. So then I immediately messaged Jeff Jarrett. I was like, that guy thought that I was Macho Man's son. And then like later in the day, like two other people came over to me and they're like, oh, you're Andy Savage's son, right? And I'm like, oh my God, because this guy, Jeff Jarrett is so like, he's silky smooth. He could sell a lady in a white dress, a ketchup popsicle. Like it's crazy, you know? So yeah. having him at our booth and like selling the game and him like actually understanding the pitch. Like imagine a wrestler shooting a promo on your game. Like, it's just like, he's a great person to have, you know, on your team because people believe what he says. So it's pretty wild. No, I always, uh, I never liked convincing people and going around talking to them. So I always tried to pair up with somebody that was doing the talking. Sure. And, and then once they got started, I would kind of like elbow them out of the way. It's like, all right, all right, you'll know what you're talking yeah. about. And then I'd like finish up. <laughs> But no, I could totally respect that and definitely see that from Jeff Jarrett. So that is, that is pretty awesome, man. And the, you guys, I don't want to say you're on tour, but you're going out, you're promoting the game here and there. Yeah. How much more do you have to do? There's a bunch more on the docket, the, a bunch of stuff I can't talk about yet, but like, yeah, okay. abso absolutely. Like uh, there's definitely some more media coverage coming. There's definitely some more events coming and uh, yeah, you'll most likely see me at those events too. So I'm super excited. PAX East was my first PAX East. So it was just like, it was so much fun to be like in Boston, to speak to people and things. Everyone was masked up. So, and I, I don't think attendance was like as big, obviously, as like it was in years past because it was like their first, you know, their first year back. But yeah. um, just being around so many people and getting to meet so many people and like our panel was super well attended. Like there was easily like 500 people at the panel. Right. So uh, it was still a great experience nonetheless. And I think uh, attendance is just going to get like better and better. Like I just did ZoloCon two weeks ago in Pennsylvania and there was totally yeah. like, there was, there was definitely like over 5,000 people there in the two days. So like, uh, it was cool to see all those people out. I did not get COVID from being around all those people. So I feel like, you know, like I hope things are getting better. I know like this is like, a, this is going to be like almost like a permanent part of our lives. People are going to be getting COVID now for like, you know, the next hundred years yeah. or whatever, you know, well, now they're talking, well, now monkeypox is going around. And I think that, <laughs> I don't know, we're in a weird space right now, Absolutely. Um, but I'm glad to see that people are taking efforts to bring back, you know, now, now that we know how to do the virtual thing, 
we can still say, okay, even though we've done virtual, we know how to get back out there, have fun with people. I was just talking earlier in the week with Omar about Comic-Con and how that was. And it seems like the big events, you know, your PAX East, your PAX Prime, your, your San Diego Comic-Con, New York Comic-Con, those will probably be fine because they're like, well, if I'm going to miss one, it's not going to be the big one. But they may miss out on a lot of the smaller ones. And that's what yeah. I'm wondering about. Yeah, absolutely. Like I did, I did a little mini Comic-Con in Staten Island, like in May. And at one point it was like completely empty for like an hour. And a mm -hmm. couple of people from my company were like, this sucks. And I'm just like, and then it, it so the thing is, it's just like people, those, that morning rush that a lot of people are used to, like at yeah. the beginning of cons, I, that's not as much. And then the thing is like the people staying all the way to the end. That's not happening either. So I think like people are coming in, getting what they want, trying to look around a little bit, and then they're out. Like, cause I remember mm -hmm. when I would go to New York Comic Con, I would stay the whole day. Yeah. You know? And I, I feel like people, people aren't doing that anymore. They, they're going in, they're hitting their hotspot, they're walking down Artist Alley pretty quick, unless, and looking for, to see if there's anything cool, and then they're out. They're, like the staying isn't happening is, anymore. It is the social aspect down a little bit. Cause I remember cons before. You know, you saw somebody with a shirt, you're like, boom, half hour conversation. You saw yeah. somebody, you know, buying something that you're into or you had a question about something. And there was a lot of just, you know, I was about to say social networking, but I didn't mean that. But there was just a lot of talking and networking. Is that kind of down or how is it looking? So I, me and you, we think the same exact way. So like when, I, when I'm rocking, you know, and I was rocking the WrestleQuest boost. If I saw somebody with a cool shirt, I'd be like, oh, you got a great shirt. And I would try and bring them in, try and introduce them to the game. Whenever I see somebody with a championship belt that I really like, I want to take a picture with it. So I'll be like, I'll, I'll show you the game. You let me get your, you know, United States title from 1983. I'm taking a picture with it, you know? Yeah. And usually that's not that big of a deal. But yeah, a couple of times people were like, yeah, like you could tell people are a little bit more guarded. There's definitely like, I'm old school. Handshaking, super important to me. I love to shake hands. I look, I like to look somebody in the eye, shake yeah. your hands. Now it's very much mm, and elbows and stuff. So it's the connection sometimes for some people isn't there. And then I'm noticing too, I've, I've been meaning to speak about this for a long, long time. Like the use of this generation, like the 16 to like 21, they've been extremely affected by COVID by being inside for the past few years. And they're yeah. like not nearly as social. I mean, when I was 18, oh my God, like I was... Like I wanted to talk to everybody. I wanted to hug everybody. Yeah. I wanted to fist bump. I wanted to handshake everybody. And they're, they're, they're very much like, you know, and it's hard. It's super hard to connect to them because that's a huge cross section. Like when you're, you're talking about comic books, you're talking about video games. These are the people that you yeah. want to be influenced by your art. Yeah. And they're so scared to like, you know, to get involved. It's, it's pretty wild, you know, and to see how it might affect, you know, our arts moving forward is going to be interesting. Yeah, totally. I. You know, speaking of the arts, it's like walking past people and, you know, you're in a, you're in a confined space and you were saying like, just go through artist alley and then just, okay, I didn't see anything and then leave, mm -hmm. man, that my dad used to, my dad used to drop me off at the mall and would say, Hey, listen, at around mall closes at nine o'clock. My dad would say, Hey, listen, at around not at around eight 30. I'm going to come in the mall. I'm going to go to this department store and then I'm going to sit in the food court and sip a Coca-Cola and eat some fries until the mall closes. 
meet me in the food court or the department store if you can find me there. And he knew what I was doing was just going around talking to people. Hey, how's it going? And this and that. Yep. And it's, that sounds so weird and old fashioned now, but when I watch kids who are put in the same environment and they can't really look at each other, that weirds me out. Yeah. They can't make eye contact with each other. You know, it's like, it's so wild. Yesterday I was over my sister-in-law's house and my nephew's 13 and I love them. And he's a hardcore gamer. And uh, my sister-in-law's friend came over and she has a 15 year old son. So it was just like the 15 year old and 13 year old. My 13 year old nephew is a huge Nintendo fanboy, like Link, Kirby, the whole nine yards. And the 15 year old is in a little bit of a different space. So he's more Grand Theft Auto, more Sony and stuff, Mm -hmm. but they're both hardcore gamers and they would not make eye contact with each other and talk to each other. And I was just like, man, if I was, if I was a 13 year old kid and there was a 15 year old, like in the same room with me that played video games, I would be like, well, what do you play? Well, like nonstop conversation. And I'm here in the middle trying to facilitate conversation between the two of them. Like, what do you like? What do you like? Da, 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 da. And it's just like, why is it so hard? It used to be, you know, when I was a kid, let's just like, let's just talk about our fandom. Like, you yeah. know, what teams do you like? What characters do you like? Did you see that girl that was on that block? Well, like, like the conversation was just so easy. You would just make friends with somebody so fast and just jump in. And now everyone's so, everyone's so guarded and scared now, like to connect. It's super, it, it's, it's a little scary sometimes. Yeah. I, I do think though that, you know, even, even with that in place, I still think that this weird you know, this current era of pop culture really provides a great bridge. Like we're talking about comics, games, and wrestling. And it's like, there's a weird, actually, let me get your case in this. Sure. What what is the connection with comics, wrestling, and games? Because I can always find somebody who's into one and kind of bridge over to, you know, they're in wrestling and comics and games comes along or whatever. What is that connection? I think it's just storytelling. I think it's just organic. I think it's just organic, natural storytelling. And it's the suspense of disbelief. It's like the greatest video games take you to another world. The greatest Mm -hmm. comic books take you to another world. The greatest wrestling, you go to yourself. Yeah, I know that's fake, but that, that elbow in the corner, that shit looked real. Or yeah, they're not together in real life, but they just kissed. Mm, If I was their, you know, husband or wife, I would be a little, so just like that suspense, that, you know, suspense of disbelief, it caters to all three. And I feel like for people that are really looking, they can totally find something, you know, that grabs them from all three of those, all three of those mediums there. And they're all art at the same, at the same time too, you know? Yeah, totally. So, so now you're doing, you're doing your thing with legacy comics. This is awesome. I like Thank the, you. the uh, comics will always have a place in my heart. And I want to ask you, what does legacy comics mean what is not just the not just the title but like what what is the vibe behind it so the vibe is very much myself going out and finding people that want to tell amazing and different stories and giving them an opportunity that they didn't know existed or an opportunity that maybe someone else didn't give them so it's just like i mean i look at Joshua Adams, I look at Steve Conjay, I look at Kieran Quinn, I look at Valentin Quinones, I look at all of the artists that are Joshua, look at all of these people. I said Joshua's name already, I almost said his name twice, that's how good he is. I look at these people and these are people that like, didn't even know, like really had to go about pitching their stuff to like DC or Marvel, or maybe they pitched stuff to Image or Dark Horse and they never got back to them. 
or like maybe they were in Kieran and I's case where like they finished, they finished a pitch to like Dark Horse and Image and then COVID happened and they, these places weren't accepting pitches from anybody. So it just like, I, I think of Legacy as like, kind of like the Montreal Expos of, of comic books. Like we're not going to be able to afford <laughs> you when you're, when you're not a, you know, restricted, when, when you're an unrestricted free agent, but when we will draft you and we'll have you while you're a restricted free agent and, and we'll do everything that we possibly can to keep you. And we'll give you as big a print run as we possibly can. And we'll promote you as hardcore as, as you can, as we can. And we'll give you the tools to like learn how to promote yourself and stuff like that. But it's just like, it's about giving people opportunities to tell amazing stories. And one of the big problems, I wouldn't say necessarily it's a problem, but it's just like a lot of people in the meetings that I've had so far with like licensees and with people that wanted to invest in us is that they confused us for a studio rather than a publishing house. So it's just okay, like, so what's the difference there? So this, a studio is basically like people like pumping out like original IPs, like for the, the sake of like building the studio, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and the thing is like, we kind of started off as like a publishing house that had like studio tendencies, you know? So it's just like, my whole thing is it's just like, I modeled this after like, a bunch of the publishers that I've worked with in the past. Like, listen, we're going to pay for your print run. We're going to market you and stuff like that. But it's like really up to you to like sell your book. Like I want to build, like I want to help people build their individual brands, you right. know, like I want people to have strong individual brands. Like I want, I want the legacy brand to be like less than this. Well, not less than, but like a sum of its parts. Like I want people to be like legacy is this, 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 this is like eight or nine strong, solid comic book, you know, series like, and, and the thing is, I don't want, I, I've had this, this happens to me every day. Someone will pitch me an idea and they'll be like, I just need an artist. And I'm like, well, then you have to find an artist, you know, because mm -hmm. we're a publisher, you know, pitch us like your finished project. Don't come to me and be like, oh, I need an artist or, oh, I'm a great artist and I need a writer. Maybe I might have a script that I could hook somebody up with and be like, all right, let's do business. But like, I really like. I want to meet people that have stuff that's like already like ready to go and then I could help them get to the next level. So it's like that, that in the beginning through like our first year, because I mean, we filed the LLC August 18th of last year. So we haven't even been in business a year yet. We've published nine comics and we're going to publish like five more come full. So just like, we've been like super busy, but like the thing is, it's just like, we really take like finished products and like, you know, get them out to the masses. Like we're helping like these first time you know, writers and artists get their stuff out to the masses. We're putting teams together is a lot harder than just publishing. And we've been doing a lot more of putting teams together than we have publishing in the beginning, because obviously yeah. we're building our brand, but like, I never want people to think that we're a studio because, because we're not, you know, like we don't have, we, we don't necessarily like have the tools to like do all of those things, you know? So, but like publishing, like I can help people publish, I can edit books, I can publish books and stuff, but like taking like. I can edit a script from start to finish, but it's just like, it's so much easier if someone comes to you and is like, listen, this is what I want to do. And I go, okay, for us, this works for us because we could publish this and da, 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 da. But it's just like having somebody not have something mm -hmm. and then have to take them from like page one, all the, that's, that's something a studio would do. You right, know? right. So, and I mean, I might invest that much energy in somebody if I feel like that they were, you know, worth, worth it. But for the most part, like I want to take people that are like ready to go. So that's been... That's been like probably like the biggest challenge, but like to answer your question, I mean, we were like really formed from like, I had worked for lesser known comics for like eight months and the longer that I would work there, I would go, I wouldn't do it that way. Mm. I wouldn't do it that way. Or I'm doing all of this. We should be here and we're here, you know? Right, right. And my wife tells me all the time, she's like, you're not happy unless you're the boss. 
She's like, you're not happy unless you're the boss or you're not happy unless you could look at your boss and go, bro. Mm. You know? So it's like, like I've been in situations before, like when I was at NBC, mm-hmm. if, my, if my boss was talking, I had that much respect, like Dick Belsky, Greg Gittrich. I would just stand behind them like Arn Anderson in the Four Horsemen. Yeah. I just have my arms crossed and be like, I got him. Yeah. He's going to give me a spot. I'm going to go and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And I'm a company guy and I'm going to do the best that I can. If I don't feel that way, then I'm going to have to do that shit on my own. And that's what happened with, with lesser known. I, I, they were all super nice, but I was like, you know what? I have to go and do this on my own and take like old like 90s comics, Daredevil, you know, Deadpool, Punisher, some Wolverine and stuff, that gritty crime noir and image comics spawn. And that's like, that's kind of like the heart of like what we're trying to do. We're really trying to bring back like those old school comics, like that type of storytelling. So I like that. Now with Legacy, it seems to have a, you mentioned Daredevil, you know, it seems to have a street level kind of vibe. I don't know if you heard Feige a little while ago mentioned that Spider-Man and Daredevil are going to kind of lead their new street level, you know, series, whatever. Is it, is it fair to say that Legacy Comics is, is kind of aiming for that street level first, at least, or what? Yeah, absolutely. So it's like, I would say like our three flagship series right now are Condry, which is about a homeless vigilante in Brooklyn that's trying to find out who killed his father and like New York City has, it, New York City is basically run by this drug cartel that has just like destroyed the entire infrastructure of, of New York City. They run the cops, they run the government, the whole nine yards. So it's very gritty, very urban and stuff. There's another comic in that universe called The Job. And it's about a professional wrestler that loses all of his matches, but he's got a great car and he's got a hot wife and everyone wonders why. And the answer is they rob banks together because wrestling doesn't pay the bills. So that's like very gritty. Like it takes like a look at like the dingy side of like pro wrestling and stuff, like when people just get started. So that's very like dark and gritty and stuff. And then uh, The Legend of the Night Owl, that's that's like to me, those are like our top three, like right off the bat is about... um it's the same thing. Like Brooklyn is just in a state of disrepair and this, this, this woman and her son take it upon themselves to like really clean up the streets. Like even like we have a manga, I like to call it an American manga because there's definitely not enough American manga out there by the, right. this wonderful team, Dan Evans and Joshua Adams from South Carolina, where they're just, it's, it's totally like if rage against the machine and like your favorite, like adult swim comic, like had a baby, you know, and it's just like this really dark, gritty, like american manga so yeah that's like kind of like what we're going for absolutely so you know you know it's funny i think people from maybe maybe a few steps away from what you're doing and we we had this problem at uh, we kind of had a little bit of this problem at rockstar people didn't get it they're like oh it's the same thing it's just you know mean person you know tough world and they're gonna go shoot stuff or beat stuff up and Mm -hmm. and I I honestly kind of didn't get it until I got to Rockstar, where I was like, oh, it's not just a one-trick pony. They're really just tuned in to this vibe. And I think that's what you're telling me here, that like, yeah, I'm, we're tuned into a vibe right now. How do you make that so it doesn't appear stale or static or boring to people? Or do you even care for people who don't get it? I, I just think I, I, my best advice, like for people that are like intrigued in our product or people that like want more questions that have questions, it's like, just read it, you know? Cause it's like, even though they have this old, like gritty urban noir aesthetic, they're all very different from one another. So like, for me, like I used to joke around and I still do with people on the team, like the perfect, like Pat Hickey page in a comic is probably like one or two panels and it's all monologue. 
because it's just like I feel like what what goes on inside people's heads is mm-hmm. more important than what they say, you know. And that's like my style of writing. But like Astrid Jambalai, who writes The Legend of the Night Owl, he is very dialogue heavy, and it's because he's an actor. He's been on Daredevil, he's been on Law and Order, stuff like that, and he's a stuntman. He's a third degree black belt in Shotokan, but he loves dialogue. So it's just like we're kind of doing the same thing, but we're doing it in two completely different ways, you know. So. It's all of our books like read differently, but they have similar settings. I mean, it's the same thing when you think about it, like what Rockstar was doing. L.A. Noir, Grand Theft Auto, Max Payne, they all have like yeah. mm-hmm. elements of that noir and like grittiness and urbanness, but they all do it completely different from one another, you know? So yeah. that's what I would tell people. So it's just like the noir and the grit like kind of get you in the door. But then when you experience the storytelling... That's what makes a difference. Like Sarita, like my newest book. I mean, that's 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 got some noir in it. But at the end of the day, it's a coming of age tale about a woman that's like fighting for her family in a city that like really doesn't give a shit. So it's very different from, you know, what you might expect from just looking at the cover or seeing like what our other offerings are. Yeah. When I saw the the washing, the shit stained underwear in the kitchen sink, I was Uh like, you know what? that's that's a vibe and that's only something you could do if you had a a proper world around it It, it's just such a simple scene but yeah i i've been there i've been there you know it's just like i used to joke around like the ghost face killer song like you know all that i got is you and like plucking roaches out the cereal box and stuff and it's just like i'm this blonde hair blue-eyed white boy from brooklyn but i've i've been there you know i've had hot dogs and macaroni and cheese 25 days out of the month you know, as a kid, you know, for dinner, you know, I had chicken on the bone every night because it was the cheapest meal that you could have, you know, like I ate rice at all the time because it was cheap. And, you know, I had instant mashed potatoes. I, I used to love when my mom would make real mashed potatoes, you know, like, cause it was like a rarity, you know, it was like delicacy. So it's just like, I wrote that. I'll never forget writing that comic. I was putting my son to bed and he was probably like eight months and I was just holding him and Condry one had just come out. And that was like the introduction of the Sarita character in Condry. And uh, I just love her. I love her as a character. I just think she stands for like everything that's like good and honest. And she's true. She's like if, if Paul Pierce could be transplanted into like an old woman, like she is the truth, you know, like she 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 says what she means and she means what she says. And I just I had my eyes on out and I lowered the light all the way down and I went into my notes and I just started banging out the, you know, the script. And there's so many times like. You know, when I was like in fourth or fifth grade, my dad didn't have a job. My mom was doing our laundry like in the kitchen sink with detergent, you know, and my dad was a big boy built like Donkey Kong, like, you know, five foot 10, 300 pounds and stuff. And man, I would see those, those underwear and stuff like that. I'm like, man, ma, oh, like you, you're sacrificing. Like no woman should ever have to do that. You know, I make sure that my wife never has to clean my underwear, you know, but a lot of women a lot of women did back in the day, you know, and they, and they mm-hmm. didn't, they didn't hold it against their husbands, you know, like they did, they did that for, for their family. They sacrificed. And when I think of like Sarita and like that character and so many women now they're like in their fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, man, they lived for their families, you know? And I just wanted to tell a story of like so many women that I knew growing up that just sacrificed so much for their families, yeah. you know? So and what you're saying there, I, I, I really like that because I, I have problem, not problems, but I look for artists who are actually authentically expressing something. And, you know, as opposed to, I think this is cool or this, this is the new style. 
or, hey, here's what this other company's doing. We need to ride that wave. All that's all fine and good. But at the end of the day, I'm really coming to ask you, what's your story? What are you trying to express? What, you know, how are you pushing things through? And I, I'm guessing Legacy Comics pushes that as well, because that's what you seem to be doing. Yeah, man, absolutely. I mean, it's so funny. Like I told you, like the last two weeks have been really, have been really important in building like the structure and the foundation that I feel like that this company needed to have from like day one. And we we had most of it, but now I feel like that we're really like there. And we had one, we had one book that was your traditional superhero book, you know, the cape, the utility belt, the whole nine yards, and it wasn't selling. It wasn't, it, and, and it, it didn't vibe the same way as the other stuff did. And it just like, it got to the point where we were just like, you know, what, we're going to take a step away from this and all of our books. Now there's not one like traditional dun, 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 dun you know, because I feel like that shit is dead, you know, like mm -hmm. you could have Superman, you could have Batman and stuff, but I just feel like for somebody to come along and create another Superman or Batman is just so much harder. Um, it's, it's almost like next to impossible at this point. And I feel like. I feel like it's so much more important to try and tell as real stories as possible. That's why, that's why like Condry is like this homeless vigilante, you know, because it's yeah. just like that, that's, that's different. That's, that's real. You know, that's a crazy concept on its own. I mean, yeah. I just, I don't hear about that very often. It's like, okay, I can rock with it. Yeah. You know, it's just like uh, trying like, like, it's like the job, you know, it's about a professional wrestler. Does he win every match? No, he, he pretty much loses every match. You know, oh, wait, wait, he robs banks with his wife. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, it's like dog day afternoon in the heat mixed with like Mickey Rourke's The Wrestler. You know, people go, oh, that's cool. You know, all so day like, afternoon in heat. I don't even know of that one. You never saw Heat before without Pacino's, Al Kilmer. Oh, oh, Heat. I thought I thought the title was Dog Day Afternoon. Oh, Dog Day Afternoon is another. It's a, I mean, that's a classic bank robbery movie. OK, yeah, yeah. You know, with some French connection in there, you know, yeah, yes. Yeah. You know, it's bank heist and pro wrestling, you know? So it's just like, you know, that's, I, I feel like we live in almost like a fusion society now, a hybrid society where just like people are, WrestleQuest is a perfect example of that. It's a Japanese RPG and pro wrestling mix, you know? So it's just like, those are two things that probably should have happened a super long time ago, but they never did, you know? And it's just like, for me, when I'm creating like a new, you know, series or I'm trying to like tell a story, I'm like, how do I like bring in things that people are going to find relatable? But make it different and make it fun. So it's just like Sarita isn't like your normal woman. So if like you've read like Condry zero through four so so far, you know that like Sarita on the outside looks like your, you know, your typical elderly woman, but she's not to be messed with in any way because like, you know, your main character, Condry, is like six foot nine, two hundred and eighty pounds. He's petrified of her. You yeah, know? Yeah. But he, and he knows that he needs her. So it's just like I, I love to like throw those little hooks in the reader to get them comfortable and then throw and then spin them around and give them something that's different. That's so much better than just like, he's a superhero. He was born on this day and blah, blah, blah. It's like, come on, man. We got to, we got to try and evolve a little bit. We got to try and tell stories a little bit different than this. It worked for Stanley. It worked for Ditko yeah. and stuff, but it's not going to work for you, you know? And so many people that want to get into comics are so, and it's the same thing too. I'm sure you, you've countered this too. So many people that want to get into video games are like, I'm going to create like the next platformer, the next superstar platformer. And it's like, you're probably not going to create the next Mario, you know? That's why, like, I mean, when I reached out to you, it was like War Jets. I wanted to talk to you about War Jets. I wanted to talk to you about Rockstar Table Tennis. Those, these are yeah. different games that did great things. You yeah, know? yeah. So it's like oh. that, and that, that you, know, out, you know, and, that, and that's part of the reason I was on those projects is just because 
I was so invested in like, hey, wait a minute, we can make a mark here. We can do this, that, okay. there. So let me ask you this, though. With, mm-hmm. with the way things are right now, you know, we're getting news that DC may be getting completely rebooted. Again, yeah. I don't, I don't know if, anybody, if anyone's heard the news, but real, really quick recap. Discovery owns a lot of stuff. They ended up buying all kinds of companies and Warner got absorbed into their big buying spree. Discovery is a major force for those of you who don't know. And now they're, they've got Warner and it looks like they're cutting stuff out. The Batgirl movie's gone. The CW's gone. All the Flash is gone. A lot of your ancillary DC projects are gone. And it's looking like they're going to do a DC reboot completely. And then on the other hand, we have Marvel, who seems to be doing what I would say more of the same, but just changing characters out. Like, oh, well, we never had a, you know, I'm all, I'm all for the diversity side of it. So that's not what I'm getting at here, but it seems like they're just taking different characters in different situations, different scenarios and trying to place their same, those people or those different scenarios, those storylines into the same old formula without making it interesting. Yeah. I hope I'm clear with that, but it's like, yeah, the Fantastic Four should have a fundamentally different story than the Avengers. The X-Men or the mutants should have a fundamentally different story than all these other characters. And I kind of see them all running together at Marvel, like, What's the difference between Black Widow and Hulk? I'm not totally sure by the way you're telling the story. Yep. I mean, I'm incredibly entertained, but I don't know where this is going. So w- what are your thoughts on like what's uh, happening with the superhero industry right now? I mean, it's one of the reasons why this comic book company was started to try and tell different stories to try and make like, I mean, that's the thing. Each each book that we release feels different. It's, you know, it, the characters have their own soul, so to speak. And it's like, I've interviewed easily over a hundred comic book writers and artists over the years. And like the best ones, I remember interviewing Christopher Claremont in his house and him referring to Wolverine as Logan and him referring to Cyclops as Scott. And I remember when it happened, I was kind of like, this guy is fucking crazy. And then I'm like, now I'm like, no, those characters are real to him, yeah. you know, like, and, and my whole thing is it just like, I think a lot of that is lost. Like for me, the Thor movies that Kenneth Branagh directed and stuff, they had like a very epic and like Shakespeare kind of feel to them. And I'm like, it's because of his background, but it's also like, that's the way Thor felt to me as a kid. It felt more epic. It felt more polished and stuff. And now it's like, Thor is just like, kind of like every other Marvel character. He's really good looking and he's really fucking cool. And he's funny and his, his, his movies have yeah. great soundtracks and stuff like that. And it's just like, why is Thor so much more like Deadpool than Deadpool is like Thor? You know, it's just like, why is it yeah. going on? You know, do you, do you think that's like the Disney influence? Absolutely. Because they're saying to themselves, like, how do we market this to kids? How do we make as much money off of like, you know, main? How do we make this as mainstream as possible? And, you know, for me, it's just like when people ask me, what's your favorite comic book movie of all time? I go, you know what? I love Spawn. Michael J. White, John Leguizamo, they killed it. They nailed like what that comic book was about. It wasn't necessarily the greatest comic book movie of all time, but man, like they captured the source material, you know? They didn't make it like super fan friendly. That movie was not for everyone. The Nine Inch Nails, oh, not, not Nine Inch Nails, the Typo Negative soundtrack 
wasn't for everyone, but it captured the essence of the source material. So there are some people that go out there and they're like, oh my God, like, oh, that movie was great. And it's just like, but you don't know, like you haven't read enough Thor to know how great the movie actually was. You haven't read it right, right. to know. Yeah. And that that's the audience that they're going for. They're going for people that are like, oh, I've seen the action figures. I remember like little bits and pieces from the comics and stuff. I just want to go with like a fresh take and stuff. It's like, I remember when they announced the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And I'm like, why isn't Adam Warlock in this? And so many people mm. are like, who, who? And I'm just like, yeah, the conversation's over. We're not talking right now. Like, you could watch that. And I, I love the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. I love them, but I love them for a different reason than I love the comics. You know? So it's just like, my whole thing is like, I want to, if my comics ever get, you know, optioned out and stuff like that, so like movies or video games and stuff, I'm going to be like super protective of like maintaining the aura. Like when I think of like, again, this one movie, it was it's not the greatest movie of all time, but it captured something. The Crow movie. You know, yeah, capture yeah. something when com when you look at like the the you know James DeBar's like you know original you know comics and you look at that there's something there like it captures like it's like meeting somebody digitally and then meeting them online and being like you know what that's the same person you know it's like it, it happens to me all the time where like I'll meet somebody that I've known in the digital realm for quite some time and I meet them in person and I'm like they don't have the the courage in themselves or the confidence in themselves to be the person that they are online. Like in person, they may be a little bit more reserved, this, that. I respect people that are like so close to what they project. You know, like I love those people. Like I said, like you're one of them. Like, like, you, like you run into the first net, like, oh yeah, that's, 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 that's what I expected. That's. Yeah. You know, like the same shit that they would say on Facebook is the same thing that they would say to you, like to your face, you know, instead of like, you know, and I feel like Disney, Disney is doing that now. Like it's like, that would not be in the comic, but it would be in the Disney movie, you know, or like, right, you right. Know. so it's right. I get it. And, and this goes back to that authenticity thing. So you seem, have you always been this authentic of a person? I can tell you, I wasn't because for a long time I struggled with, well, here's how I want to be. But then I got a lot of pushback from the people around me. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I'm not going to, you know, be weird or anything, but I'm just going to, I'm I'm not going to come out front and be like, hey, listen, guys, there's a comic book convention. I'm doing this and that and that. It was a little bit of a, a process for me where I had to like, all right, whatever. I'm just going to go be on my own. And then at some point I was like, wait a minute, you know, why am I going away to, to do what I want to do instead of just being authentic where I am? You know what I mean? Have you always yeah. been kind of authentic? You're from New York, so it seems easier, yeah. but. That's the thing. It's just like, I, I feel like there's a, there's a, that's a low, that's a super loaded question. How dare you ask me that? So the thing is like, I have a twin brother. So for a really long time, I, I had to be like the protector. I had to be the quiet, like reserved protector. Cause my brother was like Kramer from Seinfeld, like just a madman, you know, like he would just, I, and I would have to make sure that like he was okay because he would literally like do anything and everything to get himself into trouble. And it wasn't until I went to high school by myself to a different high school that I started to learn about myself, you know, that I was a little bit more charismatic than maybe I had thought, or may maybe like I could do things that I normally wouldn't have been able to do if I was around my brother. And then, then when I went to college and I started studying journalism, journalism is all about trying to get information mm -hmm. out of people. And it's super selfless because you're asking questions and they don't care what you have to say. So you just keep your mouth shut and you just ask thought provoking questions and you do your research and stuff. So it was just like, 
again, still, I would spend all this time researching and asking people questions that I would never get to show that other side of me. Then when I started writing the books, the Minds Behind the Games books, and people would start to ask me questions and I would start to talk and people would go, oh, you know, like, you're really cool. You're really chill. You're, you know, you're down to earth. Oh, you're charismatic. And I would just go, okay. But a lot of it too is teaching because like I've been a college professor for 16 years. So my whole thing is like, it's like I try and explain this like to a lot of the young male professors in my school because like, you know, men talk, you know, in the teacher's lounge, like, oh, all the women, they love me, blah, blah, blah. All all the young girls, they love me. And I'm just like, of course they do. You're speaking about something that you're passionate about, that you're knowledgeable about, that you went to school about. If you can't get people to love you when you're talking about things that you love, you're doing it wrong. So they don't love you. They just respect you because you know what you're talking about. You're misconstruing like your energy. So my whole thing is it just like, I try and make sure like to be able to read the room. Like, I mean, when I was in Tennessee last week, I kept my mouth shut for a big part of the trip because I was around people that I felt like, man, I could learn a lot from these people. So let me keep my, let me keep my mouth shut. Let me stand there. Let me listen. And then when my time came to speak, then I spoke. You know, so it's just like, it's just a matter of like, it, it took me a long time. I, I credit a lot of like my coming out, so to speak, my blossoming socially to my daughter being born. You know, like Danny Glover was 41 when he said, I'm too old to this shit in Lethal Weapon. And like, I feel like I was like 33 when my daughter was about to be born. I was just like, you know what? I got to start doing all the things that I want to do. Because if I don't, then I don't want to be one of those people that look at their kids and go, I could have been this, but I had kids and stuff. I'm like, you know what? I want my kids to be proud of me. Like two days. How old is she now? She's five and my son's two. So it's just like my daughter came. I picked her up from gymnastics because she goes to like summer camp and stuff like that for gymnastics. And she's like, oh, I told like three people about your comics and now they want to buy your comics. Like she's proud of me. And like, to me, that's like, oh my God, you know, that's like the greatest thing in the world. So it's just like, I feel like if I don't come out of my shell, if I don't like try and project like the hustle, the passion and stuff like that, then what kind of example am I setting for my kids? You know, like what, what kind of example am I setting for, for myself? You know, I go to bed, I wake up tired every morning. I go to bed tired every morning. I go to bed every night. I mean, exhausted. So it's just like, that's what you got to do. So it's like, I, it's I think that's a, be- I, I think that's a better term exhausted rather than yeah. tired. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I just, I just started making that distinction because when you go home and you're exhausted, it's like, man, that was a good, I was talking about this on, on Tuesday with Dr. Kia Robottom, mm-hmm. where she's like, yeah, there's that certain exhilaration you get when you're, when you're doing your thing back to the passion we were talking about, Yeah, you're man. doing your thing, you're knocking out your passion, you're creating, you're building something. And at the end of it, you're, you're, you've got, you're exhausted, but you kind of still got that exhilaration going on in you. And then yep. you can like rest up for the next run later and you're feeling good. As opposed to just being beat down and tired, which is something completely different. Yep. And that's the thing though, too. It's just like, it's okay to be beaten down and tired, you know, but it's just like, you've got to find like that extra gear and you got to do it every day. You know, it's just, it's super hard. I think like Stone Cold Steve Austin said, like the easiest way to be successful is to like be yourself and to just turn the volume up as high as you possibly can. You know, and it's just like, that's what I try and do every day. I try and push my stuff every single day. And and I push it, I try and push it in a way where, you know, people know that it's not gloating. It's not this, it's that. It's just that I genuinely believe that like I'm doing solid stuff that deserves more attention. So it's a, it's a hustle. You know, I had somebody message me like two days ago and they're probably going to be watching this at some point. So I'm not going to say their name. They might get a little pissed off at me, but whatever. They were like, how do you, 
Like, how do you do it every day? It seems like it's magic. And I'm like, dude, it's not magic. I'm like, it's incredibly lonely. It's incredibly like self-depriving. You know, it's, in, it's, it's sleep depriving, but it's like you do it because you believe like that you're doing something special, you know? So do you, with what you're, with what you're doing and this, this strong internal belief, what do you, do you have something that you're building towards specifically or? Yeah, man. I mean, one day I would love to buy a house. You know, I would love to own a house. I would love to be able to pay for my kids college, you know, like it's that stuff, you know? And so it's just mm -hmm. like, I live in New York city. So it's just like, I've been a college professor for 16 years. I make a six figure salary and not enough, you know? And it's just like, I've been blessed that like, I had like disability that I can work on three hours of sleep for 20 years, you know, 20, three hours of sleep a day for 20 years. And like, I have all of this energy and, you know, 150 pounds ago, I still had this much energy. You know, so it's just like, if I don't do something with all this energy, then it's just like, why? Why am I here? You know, it's like that Walt Whitman, oh me, oh life, you know? It's like, if I don't do something with it, then it's just a waste, you know? So it's just like, I feel like I have to be, I have to be busy, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people will be like, oh, you're lucky. You know, the voice acting, you got lucky. Oh, you know, the comic book stuff. Oh, how'd you fall into that? And it's just like, because you do it, you know, you, you, you throw your name in the hat, you know, like. My voice acting career started because I was doing dialogue editing on a game because I had interviewed a, a, a team from Bulgaria that needed mm -hmm. help with their English, you know? So it's just like you just position yourself and you learn from as many people as possible and you're just in it all the time. It's I don't feel like there's like any like luck involved. It's just you. It's just you busting your ass every single day. And over time, those opportunities, you know, if gr granted that you treat people the right way and you you make good on your word and you're consistent and you don't make excuses, that stuff adds up after a while, you know? So, I mean, I'm 39 now, so it's just like, I've got like some, some years of being consistent under my belt. So you get rewarded after a while. So I forgot who it was that said it, but, and I'm, I'm totally going to mess it up. So I may have to come back later and, you know, sure. fix this up. But I, I said something where I was thinking something along the lines of, you know, man, well, what happens when you get tired or you run out of creativity or, you know, your tank is empty and without getting too spiritual on me, they were like, you don't run out. What are you talking about? It's just who you are. Yeah. It's not even, it's not even your, it's not even your personal energy and your personal, you know, fire that you're dealing with, you're tapping into, you know, just this, this idea of moving forward, keeping going, rocking on. And I kind of dismissed it. Like, of course, people run out of energy and people do this and that, and that, but then I started to meet people who were just on and I was like, why are they on like that? Yeah. And I was holding myself back from being on, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Sure. And I, have you experienced that? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So the thing is, like, especially like being a college professor for 16 years, like especially teaching journalism, when I get young journalists, they're like, well, what happens when you get writer's block? And I'm like, what's that? You know, and like it's I've never had writer's block in my entire life. I may write something that sucks, but I wrote it and I finished it, you know, and then I'll go on to the next thing, you know, and the next thing may not be better, but I still finished it. And I'll hold yeah. on to it and maybe I'll, I'll come back to it and I'll tighten it and I'll fix it and this and that. But it's just like, I always make a habit of 
if I start something and I finish it, you know? And yeah, the great thing about like the space that I'm in now is like every day is different. So it's just like, I remember like I went to Tennessee on Friday, but like Thursday, I thought it was going to be like an easy day. And I ended up getting a bunch of voiceover thrown at me for world championship boxing manager too. So I did that. And then I'm like, oh, you know what? Maybe we should have a whatnot for legacy comments. What if I do like a live or whatnot? And then I filled out the application for that. And then I was updating the social. So there's always like little things to do to keep your mind occupied. And yeah. I made sure, I made sure when I started legacy and to my own like benefit, I was smart, at least in this situation. I'm not smart in a lot of other situations, but in this one, I was pretty <laughs> smart where like all of like the job, all of like, all of the job is like the job is basically going to be like a six story arc. It's written. Country is up to like issue four, but I have up to issue 10 written already. Like I made sure to right. get as far ahead of the game as possible because I knew like if we were running a publishing company that I was going to have to invest in other people and help build their projects and stuff, help them right. like, move along. So just like I put my, and that's the thing, I put myself in a situation where I could do those things. So sometimes when you're working, you're like, oh, what am I doing this for? Some people will go, what am I doing this for? It's not going to pay me any dividends right now. And I'll go, Yeah. But next year at this time, you won't have to write anything because you have your stuff. So then you can focus on marketing. You can focus on this and you can focus on that. Like I'm constantly trying to play the long game as often as possible. You know, I'm trying to like plant as many seeds as possible because then when they start blooming, everyone's like, oh, you're so lucky. And it's like, no, I'm not lucky. You know, it's like the old. You were just on. Yeah, I was just on, you know. So, yeah. And my wife tells me all the time, can you shut it down for a little while? And I'm just like. And I don't know how. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be on like on my deathbed and like holding somebody's hand and be like, start a publishing company with this idea. Blah, blah, blah. Like I can't, I can't stop. You know, it's just it's just a part of me. That was a, when we were talking about the like the rock star culture a little while back. That's one of the things that you don't hear mentioned very often is that they're just on. Yeah. So when they were talking about like 100 hour weeks, you know sometimes people would actually decide this is what I want to do. And it wouldn't be like a mandate mm -hmm. and people didn't, people didn't get that. And they're like, yeah. you know, why, why would you do this if you don't have to? And it's like, trust me, we're just on. Yeah. And if you remember the Tony Barnes interview where we were talking, he was talking about ideas. He said, yeah, I got into a, like you, when you said writer's block, this is what made me think of this. Where he's like, yeah, I started having ideas and I started having like too many. I didn't know what to do with them. So I started writing every one of them down. And I was like, okay, there it goes. Tony got to the point where he's just on. Yeah. And that is such a great feeling, right? Absolutely. You know what it is too? It's funny because it's just like in our, in our conversations with one another, I would say like over the past, like I would say maybe three years. And the same thing with Tony. I know Tony a little bit longer than you. I said hello to him once. I have never said goodbye to him. I don't think I've ever said goodbye to you either because I don't have to. Because we know eventually at some point the conversation is going to continue. It may stop for like three or four days or a week or two weeks, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But at some point the conversation is going to continue because it, we're always on. Yeah. How, do you, how do you get, you know, when you're, when you're doing your creative thing, it, it's not just you individually you're working with other people how do you find a vibe where you know i like working with this guy or we have a similar energy or whatever how do you i don't want to say how do you work with people but 
when you find somebody with another vibe, how do you, how do you cultivate that? Or how do you keep it from flying off the rails and going bad? I don't know. So I'll give you like two situations. So like one situation I had is that like people start off super hot. Like they are gung ho to like do whatever needs to be done. And then they hit their first roadblock. Mm -hmm. And then you start to see like a huge dip in their production, in their morale, in their behavior and stuff. And then you have other people that start off just as hot. And then when they hit their first like bump in the road, they just get pissed off and angry and more passionate. And those, this, that second type of person, those are the people that I get along with the most. Mm -hmm. Like those people that have super thick skin. So like just from starting Legacy, I mean, I had one person that that's what happened. They started off super hot and uh, the first royalty checks came in and they weren't like that great because it's like your first year comic book company. That's what's going to happen. You know, like my first royalty checks for like the minds behind the games was like 800 bucks. And I was just like, that sucks, you know? But it's like I, I spent, you know, a year writing this book, you know, but now it's just like now, now we're good. Now, you know, the royalty checks come in and I'm like, okay, this is good. This is going to pay for summer camp or this will pay this or this will pay that. Like now, yeah. now it's so, but it's just like, it's, it's hard in the beginning. And so many people don't see that. And it's just like, I feel like I rub people two ways. I either rub somebody like super preachy. Where they're like, oh, I don't need, I don't need a pep talk, blah, 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 blah. Like, don't give me a pep talk, blah, 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 blah. And then I have other people that are like, dude, whenever you go on like one of these things and you're just like telling me like what needs to be done and how it needs to be done, because this is what we're trying to build. He goes, it gets me like that much more hyped. So with, from my experience, the people that get energy from the, those hype sessions are the people that like don't back down the second adversity comes, yeah. you know? So those are the people that I get along with the most, like. The artist that I'm working on the job with, his name is Steve Conjay, and he's amazing. And, and uh, what had happened was I showed another artist that has done work for DC, Marvel, Image, Steve's art. And, Steve, and the, the artist was like, this is great. And I'm waiting for it. But, and gave me like a laundry list of like 10 things that could be fixed. Yeah. So then naturally being, you know, editor in chief, I present these things to Steve. And Steve is just like, man. Like, really? And I'm like, yeah, man, that's what he said. And he goes, well, what do you think? And I'm like, he's got a lot more experience than I do. And I trust him. I, and that's why I asked him what he saw. So yeah. me and him are on the same page. So then Steve is basically like, you know what? I'm going to do all of that stuff. And I'm going to shove it down his throat. And I'm like, man, I love you. I love that energy. And then he ended up, I mean, he did the Dracula comic for us, the Renfield yeah. Visions of Madness comic, which mm -hmm. we got like the endorsement of the Bram Stoker estate. They gave us Bram Stoker's unpublished notes to like write that comic. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So like our, our Kickstarter got funded in like three and a half hours and like probably like a week later, the Stoker estate reached out to us and they're like, oh, we have like all these unpublished notes from Bram Stoker and we have a Stoker historian that would write the story. Can you get us an artist? That's why I told you the whole studio publisher thing that was going on. Yeah. Like, could you get a, could you get us an artist that could do a comic like for for so it was like we that was like kind of like we were, were acting as a studio even though we were a publisher but uh, I love Steve and I was like Steve I want you to do this and he's like really and he did it and his first run through of the stuff was great but it could it could be better and like I said I went and I got like the best person I could to offer me critique and I presented it to Steve and Steve knocked it out of the park like completely knocked it out of the park and. 
I had another, I had another similar situation where I had another person that has like 35 years of comic book experience go over another artist in my company's work. And uh, he was like, this is not up to par. And the other artist was like, oh, well, ask them. And I was just like, you're really going to like dismiss what this guy is saying? And he's just like, yeah, oh, it's fine the way it is, blah, blah, blah. And to make a long story short, that person no longer works for us mm. because I don't, that's not, that's not my style, you know? So, it, it, you know, I've only, I've, I've rarely seen where someone says, you know, where they get, they get feedback and it's kind of valid feedback and it may be coming from a much more experienced person. I've, I've only seen that one or two times where someone says, hold on a second and they'll come back with something even greater. That's like, now, what do you think about this? That happened one time when we were, I, I shouldn't say what, where it came from, but there was an established artist doing his thing, right? Mm -hmm. Another guy comes in and he's like, okay, what am I supposed to do? Okay. You need to follow in this guy's style, do X, Y, and Z and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, okay. And he starts working on it. He's like, Hey, I had these ideas da da da. And they're like, okay, well, here's the, here are the notes from all the experienced guys get in line. And he was like, I can't do that. We we're like, okay. You realize you're saying this to, you know, this guy who's done this massive project, this guy who did the cover art for these two games, this guy who did this and this, you're really saying this right now. And he's like, can I challenge you? And they were like, yes, you may come back yeah. in two, come back in two days. You know, if you're, if you're, if your shit's weak, then, you know, we get to kick you in the teeth. If it's, if it's good, whatever. So yeah. they didn't say like that. They were basically like, right, come back in two days with something good. And, you know, they're all just kind of like outside, like, okay, what's going to happen? This kid came back with something awesome. And the original artist who set up that entire style of pipeline, they ended up firing him. So that was kind of one of the situations where I was like, okay, if you can do it, it happens every once in a while. Yep. But for the most part, I mean, this is just about being able to work towards a better product, right? Sure. And I, I wish people would really have more of an open mind and a, I don't want to say friendly because there is competition involved, but a more collaborative, I don't know. There's a way of working without being a punk and there's a way of working without being, you know, a bastard about it. After the project to a better place. And that's always been like my intention to try and like motivate people as much as possible to make them like want to work as hard as everyone else is working. So this is, this is one of the reasons why I left like lesser known comics, because I remember like we had a meeting and the CEO at the time was like, at the end of like your introduction, tell us like what your goals are like with this company. And at the end of it, I was like, well, I want to be the best goddamn comic in this company. I want to be the best selling comic in this company. And after the meeting was over, the CEO was like, Pat, everyone knows that like this comic is the best comic. You don't have to say it. Like, we don't want to have a competition like that. <laughs> and I was just like, man, seriously? Like, no, no. Like, like I want to be like, I'm not, I'm not a competitive person, man. I am the most competitive person, you know, like that's the way, you know, and I want that to be infectious with all the people that I work with, you know? Yeah. Like if I see somebody's like, oh, you know, like I've done panels with other video game historians and it's been hilarious sometimes because I remember one time I was like, oh, well, you know, Patrick writes books that have a lot of words and I'm more of like a minimalist writer. And I'm just like, what? Stop. Come on, man. Like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. 
be proud of what you've done. Like, don't under, like, don't, don't feel like you have to make excuses and this and that. And that's my whole thing. It's just like the people that are like the most successful to me are the ones that are just like, this is who I am. I'm not going to pretend to be anybody else. I'm going to push myself as hard as I possibly can. And you're either with me or you're going to eat at another table because I don't want you to starve. But if you're not with me, you don't get to eat at my table. You know, so it's just like, that's what, that's what I've tried to do with like legacy. And like, you know, there's a great book on like leadership. Oh, the name of it escapes me. But the head of GM, not GM, General Electric wrote it. And this is an old book. It's like 40 years old. And uh, what he used to do is every year he would cut the 10, 10% of like middle Yeah, the low, lowest 10 performers. Even if they had like record breaking profits and stuff like yeah. that. You know, so to me, like, you know, we, we had like all of this, these internal conversations in the company, like the past couple of weeks. And we were just like, what's holding us back from being as successful as possible. And we, we just came to this, this conclusion that we needed to make some moves and we did. And the last two weeks have been insane, insane. Like our digital sales have been a thousand times better than they were before. Like our social media has climbed, like I'm getting more feedback from people. I'm getting feedback from people that I wasn't getting feedback from before. You know, so it's just like sometimes you got to make a move. It's like it's like when you think about like basketball or you think about hockey or football. Like you 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 remove like that one weak piece in the offensive line and you get one person like in there that will block or you get like one tough guy on a team that has no tough guys or yeah. one rebounder on a team full of like decent shooters and all of a sudden the team is completely different. You know, so I don't care if I piss people off. Like I care about like at the end of the day, like do we have as strong a product as possible? You know, or like even with my books, there's been like eight or nine developers that I've spoken to. And like when the PlayStation book and the PlayStation 2 books come out, I'm going to probably get emails from developers that were like, I spoke to you for like two months. How come I'm not in the book? And I'm going to go, you didn't give me great answers. Like what was I, what was I supposed to do? Like I don't I don't want to put like, app in the book you know like right right I, I we weren't telling a story you know like you weren't like and this is not to like you know to boost your ego or anything like that but like you told like a legit story you told a story of like a person that like the fact that you read howard scott warshaw's book and then you get the job at 3do and like you have a great story and the thing is you weren't scared to tell it you know and that took courage to tell it you know, that's like, those are like the types of stories that I, I'm looking for in my books. Not just, I made a game and I'm cool and stuff. It's just like, people don't want to hear that. People want to see like the mind behind the game, you know? So it's just like, I would rather like piss people off and put out as top of product as possible than just, everyone's really happy with me, but eh, the book's not that good, you know? So yeah. it's with comics, it's with, you know, it's, it's, with all, it's with everything. It's with everything I do. I just try and do the best that I can. Isn't that amazing how story how good story never gets old never i I'm, I'm still fascinated by by the fact that uh gosh who was saying this he was like yeah you're what you're listening to a story or you're watching a classic movie or something and you realize that like every sentence that it's it does its job and they're like oh what do you mean what do you mean it does its job oh well the job of any sentence is to get you to read the next sentence Yep. Or the job many pay. I mean, it's it's a good flow, and it does, I don't mean to just pull somebody along with the, with nonsense, mm -hmm. but a good story is just a good story. You know, when you see it, kind of thing, and it never gets old, which is so fascinating to me. Yep. And like, I'm 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 trying to live a story, basically, 
That's like, it never gets old. Someone's talking to me, hey, you're doing this and this and this. Yeah, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm trying to learn this new thing right here, trying to make this new move with this company, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like you've got that same vibe too. Yeah, man. Like every day is a challenge. I love the fact that like I can put myself in a position where I can learn something new every day. You know, it's like the past couple of weeks, I've been doing a lot more video editing, something that I haven't done since like my NBC days. And I'm like, oh my God, I love, I haven't played with Premiere Pro in like eight, eight, nine years. And now I'm like, oh my God, this is so, I remember this was so much fun, you know? And then like all these like silly little promos that are, that I'm posting as reels on Instagram and stuff. I'm sitting in there, I'm messing with themes and, and things like that. And Premiere Pro and templates and, you know, all these different files and stuff. And I'm just like, this is rewarding. You know, so it's just like, if you really want to, you can, you can get a little bit better at everything, every single day. And that's your story, you know? So, and it's like, and you're in control of that. Like, what are you going to learn today? What, what's going to be your story? Are you going to be content with what you have? And there's so many people. It's like, it's so funny when you're telling me about like, how like sentences, like in great story, just like resonate. I immediately think of like the warriors movie, you know? It's just yeah. like when you're when you're listening to the head of, you know, when you're listening to Cyrus, he's like the tiny pieces of turf, you know, and everything means something. His hand gestures, all like that whole monologue, like means something. And he's super charismatic. And then you go to another character in that movie, like Swan, who rarely says anything. And then he looks at, you know, the girl in the subway and he goes, I don't like the way you live. And it's just like, damn, he said damn. so much yes. in just one sentence. He's looking at her and being like, I don't respect you, you know, but he didn't say that. He didn't say the cliche. He said, I don't like the way you live, you know? And it's just like, for me, it's just like, I want, that's the way I want to try and speak. I want to try and speak in a way where I don't have to speak for an hour to say what I need to say, you know? And yeah, story is everything. Did you play the video game? The worst? I love the video game. I love the video game for how pretty it was. I love that it like yeah. captured the essence of the movie, but like, I don't know if I would have gone like full beat style that they maybe i would have like focused a little bit more on the story mm. you know like they made it like almost like too i don't know i feel like the game was like a little too easy you know mm. yeah i still loved it though yeah that, that's one of the things that i've actually been uh, wrestling with well i was wrestling with with, uh, with video games you know just the whole how much of a story bring the person along kind of thing do you want and how much of a challenge put the person in it kind of thing you know what i mean because there's yeah there's there's driving a car and then there's being on a roller coaster and both of them are fun for different reasons but one's a more passive experience and one's more of a hands-on experience so do you want people in there you know like hey you're having a great experience and they turn around like i'm changing the fucking oil man i don't want to do this i just want to drive a car it's like Eh, that's part of the experience I'm giving you, you know, I, I don't know. It's like, uh, I'll give you like a perfect example of that. So like Pokemon red and blue, I can't tell you how many times my characters, all of them fainted and I had to go back and replay a gym and stuff like that. And the last Pokemon game that I played on the switch, I don't think I got game over once throughout the entire game. I think I played 60 hours. And did not, like, I, I probably lost a Pokemon here and there. Like, they fainted and I had to take them to the Pokemon Center. But I don't think all six, I don't think I lost in one gym, you know? And I'm just like, is the story what's more important now? 
because back in the day, the story was important, but the competitive nature of the battles was super important. It was a huge yeah, part that, of like that, the that's definitely a change. formula. Yeah. So now it's just like, do you want to just take me on a story? And is it more about the multiplayer and the online thing? Because I'm sure I've got my ass kicked online plenty of times. But like, again, right, right. the computer, that just didn't happen. So that like connection between, you know, the, the, the one player game and myself, like, was it, it wasn't there anymore. Like maybe, maybe they feel like that's something that's accomplished multiplayer. But if you're like, you know, if you're a thirties, if you're in your thirties and forties, multiplayer probably isn't your thing either. You know, I like to play to get away from people. Like I remember playing Street Fighter on PS3 the first time, like online. And it's like, here comes a new challenger. I'm like, what? And like somebody like jumped into my game from online and I'm like, no, like I want to play by myself, you know? So it just like, yeah. it's wild. It's so wild. I like, you know. Yeah. So speaking of challenges, what's your, what's your challenge right now? I mean, you've got Russell Quest is doing this thing. Legacy Comics is doing this thing. Still early. You said you were, you got 10 issues planned out. You've kind of got four already kind of in the, in the silo. And Minds Behind the Games is still doing this thing. So what's your current challenge right now that you're, you're working through? Trying to get as much exposure for the comic book brand. Mm -hmm. So I've been lucky enough that like I've been mentored by some really cool people and they've told me things like don't worry about like digital sales like if you're running a comic book company if you're running a comic book company it's all about cons it's all about signings and cons get as many signings and cons like if you're doing this like the first year you should be doing anywhere from like 20 to like 40 cons you should even try and do more than that you should aim for like 50 to 75 because that's where you're going to meet people blah, blah, blah. so then i remember talking you know to my mentor one of my mentors and i'm just like so if you're telling me like not to worry about digital sales and to just focus on cons, I'm going to focus on cons, but I'm going to focus on digital sales. I'm going to be like the first comic book company that's like, yeah, we sell comics digitally. You know, like we focus on that. Like that's going to be like, so, you know, and everyone tells me like, oh, you know, don't worry about it. But for me, it's like if I can sell comics without going to cons, if I can create like a social media presence that like draws people in where I don't have to tell like my team like, oh, we're going on the road again. And we can sell books that way and still go on the road. Oh my God, that would be like, so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to build like this online, this online presence where like people are engaged by our material enough where that, that can like help fund the next round of books. Because like, I mean, I'll tell you, I was talking to my wife the other day and I'm like, in like two weeks, we're going to be in business for a year and yeah. no checks have bounced. No checks have bounced. We have not lost any money and we have money in the bank. I'm like, that's a success to me. Like for the first yeah, year. Yeah. And then I, you know, but it's a, like next year at this time, I want to be like, you know what? Same exact situation, but we've got the money for the next books. Like we've got it already. So like for me, it's just like after I pay for like a print run. So like we just, we just released our summer books like three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. So after that's over, then it's like, if I want books to come out in the fall, which we have ready to go, like they're going to be ready to go soon. I've got to sell those summer books and I've got to sell the rest of the Kickstarter books. And I've got to sell ads. If I don't do those things, then maybe the full books are only digital or maybe they come out in lesser quantities and stuff. And I don't want that. So that's my challenge always is like to continue to push the books that I have to pay for the next round of books. So like I want to yeah. be in a situation where it's like I have like the next quarter or the next month's books like paid for already, you know, like ahead of time. So this way I could focus on two release cycles in advance and then this way I could start to build it. So that's probably like the biggest challenge. Um, the PS1 book, I'm, I'm editing right now, like the final version of the manuscript. Yeah. Like I got like the pagination all sent to me. I've seen it. I've seen what it looks like. So 
that's going to be done in like the next two weeks. Then the PlayStation 2 book is done. They're probably going to send that to me in the next like five or six months. I want to do another Minds Behind the Games books book. I just don't know which one, you know? I'm thinking maybe like the Minds Behind the Indie Games. I love the Game Boy. I love the Dreamcast. I love uh, the Atari 2600. I was about to say there's... At least as far as I understand, 2600, yes, Dreamcast, there's probably some good stories from people there. But like there, there's weird business like around, uh, you know, I remember the links. And there wasn't that much, but there was so, so much talk about like, hey, man, we're doing this new links thing. It's a crazy new system. And I, I'm really curious. I don't know what's out there. There may be nothing good out there. Maybe you do a mm -hmm. compilation of the Vita, the Lynx, and whatever else. I would even love to do like a virtual boy book, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, but it's just like, it takes, I mean, I've told you this before. It takes, it's so much, it's so time intensive sending pitches out to as many people as possible and stuff. And it's just like, I don't want to take anything away from legacy. So it's just like, I definitely want to see how the next three books do, but yeah. that's like that. And then the VO, I mean, I, I really think like, when people see what I'm doing on WrestleQuest, that that's going to open up more doors in terms of, of VO. Oh, yeah. So I'm excited for that too. So yeah, that those that's like what's going on right now. It's just like, just it's waiting and seeing how like all this stuff that I've done hits, you know, because then if it doesn't hit, then that's going to like change. That's going to change the course a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, no, I think what you're doing, you're putting stuff out there. It's, it's landing wherever it's landing. It's doing its thing, but stuff like that tends to to leave a to leave a mark. It tends to start a what's the word I'm trying to look for? It tends to germinate certain things, right? So, yeah. a year from now, you can be like, "Hey, you're the guy from WrestleQuest. You, I met this guy, and he said you did the VO. Well, we're not doing VO over here, but he told me you did comics. We're looking to do, you know, a comic." for our game or something, you know, it could just lead to random whatnot. So absolutely. I, I'm actually, I'm actually curious to see, you know, where all this goes and uh, I'll be, I'll be following this adventure. And at some point, at some point in the future, I don't know how far or, you know, what your plans are. It would be kind of cool to see a, oh God, I'm doing the designer thing that I designers hate when, pe when people come up and say, wouldn't it be cool if I but, love, uh, I love that. So <laughs> do it. Do it twice. Uh, no, like a, a documentary of some type or a docudrama. You know, I was just watching, what's the name of it? It's the story about Google Earth on, uh, on Netflix. Fascinating story where these guys had this program and they met up with some guys from Google. And suddenly th these guys are in a race basically with Google to get the Google Earth technology out. It's it's pretty fascinating. And it's like, man, that's that old school computer. Just get in there, do stuff kind of story. Yeah, it's man. a little doc, it's a little docudrama. So of all the stories you collected, I'm basically saying there's some sort of little drama in there that could be fleshed out or I don't know, but at, at some me, point, I mean, yeah, this is, yeah. this is me just wanting to see a lot of these stories revealed because I lived some of it. I followed it. I love it. I was on a podcast maybe like six months ago and they're like, how come Netflix hasn't like picked you up and make like each chapter of your book, like, you know, an episode of, of a show? Like, why isn't there like a minds behind the games, you know, like TV series or whatever? And I'm just like, I would love for that to happen. It's just a matter of getting on those people's radar, because I think to a lot of people like 
a lot of people still don't know that I exist, you know, and that's hard, you know, especially considering the fact that like, you know, five books are out. It's like, but I mean, I have people out there that have bought every single thing that I've done. And then I have people every day, like still my best-selling book is still my first book, you know? And it's like, I feel like my, my first book is not even close to being my best book anymore, you know? So it's crazy. It's crazy. But yeah, man, I'm, I'm totally with that. Like, I definitely think that like, there's definitely some opportunities there to do crazy stuff with all of that material that I had. Absolutely. Yes. Well, Patrick, it has been excellent, man. I don't know if you have anything else that you wanted to say or put out there, but I totally wanted to catch up with you on Legacy Comics. Boom, we got that WrestleQuest. We got that. And, you know, the whole wrestling gaming comic connection. We got all that. Is there anything else yeah. you wanted to say? Yeah, just a couple of other things. Like the Minds Behind Sega Genesis game just came out like three weeks ago. You can go to patrickhickeyjr.com forward slash books to pick that up. It's probably my strongest book so far. 43 games featured. Vector Man, Sonic 2, like Lion King, Aladdin. Like there's so many heavy hitters in that book. I'm super proud of that book. And then, you know, at Legacy Comics, we have Sarita and Godfro that just came out. So we've got like this really gritty crime, like noir in Sarita, like this coming of age family tale. And then we have this American manga in Godfro. So like we're doing really cool stuff. You can go to Legacy Comics, C-O-M-I-X to pick that up. WrestleQuest, guys, like I've worked on probably like a dozen games now in terms of like VO and editing and stuff like that. And I'm super proud of this, this game. World Championship Boxing Manager 2 is the sequel to a 30-year-old boxing game on Amiga. It's super special to me too. Like I do the voices of like Sugar Ray Robinson and like Rocky Marciano in that game. Super proud of that. Can't say enough about BPM Boy from Tony Barnes and Retro Ninja. Mm -hmm. The VCS doesn't have many games right now. And I, I can honestly 100% wholeheartedly say that I feel like BPM Boy is the strongest like original ip on the atari vcs like that game is like marvel madness marvel madness meets super monkey bull with like tony barnes is not only like an amazing video game developer but he's a great musician as well so it's just like you put both of those things together it's super special so yeah so voice the the video game books and the comics that's me you know follow me on instagram patrick Aki jr be ready for a lot of posts sorry not sorry you know and that's that's pretty much it I love it, man. And while we're here, do you have any, do you have anything for me? I'm, I usually don't ask this, but do you have anything for me? Why is there not, why did, why was there never another Rockstar Table Tennis? I've always wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you the last time I was on your show because I was just like, that game is so good and people still play it. Yeah. So it's like, why, 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 why was there never another one? What happened there? You know what? The way Rockstar works, as I said, you know, they're very authentic. It's, a, a community of people with certain ideas and they really invite you into their, and I don't want to say culture, but they really invite you into their way of doing things. Like, Hey, listen, we got an idea. We think it's authentic. We're going to, we're going to go out. Some of us are going to go to the shooting range. We're going to learn how to shoot. Some of us are going to go driving. We're going to learn how to drive. Some of us are going to go just walking around, you know, these big urban cities just to see what cities feel like. We're going to do all kinds of stuff and we're all going to come back and share our ideas. And if it feels right, it feels right. If we're going to do it, we're going to do it. So when it came time for table tennis, it felt right at the time. And after it was over, it was like, that was fun. And then there are all these other ideas and it just never felt like the thing that we should revisit because revisiting it would feel like 
an attempt to revisit it as opposed to being authentic with what we should be doing. Makes sense. Absolutely. And you see, and you see how I'm saying we there, you know, because it was a family kind of thing, you know? Sure. So yeah, even, even right after people were like, Hey, let's do a sequel. And you know, there were even thoughts about, should we be even putting this on the Nintendo Wii? You know, because yeah. it was it was made with the controller in mind. Now you're kind of changing that up with the control style. It's not as authentic. Do we, you know, we put our, you know, we put everything behind it. But, but yeah, at the time it was like, there were other thoughts that came up. Like, should we do another Smuggler's Run? Uh, you know, and that, yeah. that, that ended up turning into a DLC. So it didn't go away, but it's like they really take every decision and sit long and hard and think about it and say, not that we don't want to do it, but what can we do that has the most cultural and personal and social impact and makes the most sense for us? And that's the way they guide the decisions. They don't run off, they don't run off spreadsheets and financial, you know, forecast. It's very, very pure. So. All I can say is, unless for some reason that the, 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 the zeitgeist feels like, hey, it's time for another table tennis game, you never know. Yeah. I'm just going to say that I would love to play it on Nintendo Switch. Yeah. I would love to take it with me because I love that game. Like, I still play it to this day. So that's uh, why I had to ask. Wait a minute. There was a digital re-release on Xbox, right? I think it, yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. And people, okay, but not, they're not. still playing it in droves and Xbox, on Xbox One and stuff like that. So, yeah, it got a, it got a digital re-release later at some point, but not a, but not a Switch release, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah but if, if you, if you look back at the catalog, man, they, they continually think about what makes sense and what are we going to do right now? What's, what, what's not, the thing right now, what's going to be the thing, you know, two, three, four, five years from now, what are we going to, where are we going to blaze trails? So yeah, there's no telling what's coming out of that studio. Such good ideas, such great people. I've got nothing bad to say about them. So yeah. Yeah, man. That's awesome. You just like three minutes <laughs> blew my mind. <laughs> I love it. Fascinating place, man. And most of the people there or who spent any time doing anything substantial there are fascinating people. So, Oh, I bet. Oh, that would be one of those places where I just stood with my arms crossed and kept my mouth shut the entire time. But that, that, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think that was there, there were so many first at that company. And one of them was, you know, just walking up to to like or Dan Hauser. Dan Hauser came by. Here's a good little story. So we're sitting around doing our thing and a lot of companies, they have a corporate visit, right? Where the people come down, the execs or the important people to whatever project, they come down, check everything out. They take some notes, make some suggestions, either pat people on the back or shake their fist at them or whatever and provide feedback and leave. That's a normal thing for companies. One of the interesting things about Rockstar is and this isn't all the time. This isn't like one of their special practices. They came down and Dan Hauser actually just sat in the middle of our bullpen. So we're sitting there working and he like pulls up his chair and just sits down and he's like, and we're like, Hey, Dan, Mr. Hauser, how's it going? 
He's like, he's like, carry on, carry on, carry on. And he just sits mm-hmm. there. All right. That was strange. So I never had a message like that, but I got kicked out. And never been kicked out like that before. So we'll see what happens. Uh on here really quickly then i'll just sign out we were pretty much at the end of it anyway wrapping up uh, telling rock star stories uh there was some strange spookiness in the interwebs and the internet so i don't know exactly what happened there but yeah this was an awesome one with patrick hickey jr right at the two hour mark uh things started to get weird not sure what end it was on but we're still learning things about this thank you all for coming through Mr. Benj's ADD Experience Live for BenjiCon 2022. Uh, be sure to catch us on Apple, on Google Podcast, on Spotify. Somebody asked me if we were on Podbean. Yeah, we're on Podbean too. And, and Stitcher. So check us all out there. Thank you all for joining. I will talk to you all later and hopefully we'll get these issues worked out. Hey, thanks for joining me on this podcast. You all make everything I do possible and I really do appreciate it. So even if you've got me on social, please visit MrBinja.com and see what's happening and how deep the rabbit hole goes. All right, I'll see you next time. Peace.